Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Priya Pickups. What you want, what you need, what you love. Check them out at priapickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Fleming Properties. Steve Fleming is one of my best pals, and if you're looking to buy or sell your home in Canada or the USA, reach out to Steve at FlemingProperties.com. Lastly, don't forget to check out Thursday Night Record Club on the Brent Jensen Music YouTube channel. Today on No Sleep Till Sudbury, I welcome Chris Sysom, a music executive who's held senior positions with Chorus Entertainment and 102.1 The Edge, and is currently doing all sorts of fun stuff in the music industry that I'm looking forward to speaking to him about. Here he is, folks. Chris Sysom. Chris, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks so much, Brent. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So now, you know a thing or two about music, having worked in the industry uh, in different capacities for, I think, almost 30 years now. In addition to your roles at Chorus and The Edge, you, you also managed a, a 90s pop band called Wild Strawberries. Is that right? I did. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I met them through, during my time at The Edge. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ken and Roberta Harrison, they're actually a married couple who started to band pre-marriage and called wild strawberries and uh, they had a couple of gold records in canada during my time with them and uh, really great people and wrote some really nice pop songs they did yeah so now let's talk about some of the things that you're currently involved in i think you're doing some fun stuff in the industry now aren't you well i'm trying to (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm doing a couple things first i'm doing uh, my own consulting work in general with media companies and helping them with strategic planning and operations and mm-hmm. uh, whatever whatever their needs are. And then the second thing, I'm involved with a startup called Music Royalties Inc. Mm. And Music Royalties Inc., we've raised, uh, it started by the founder, a guy named Tim Gallagher. It, interesting background, he came from the mining royalties business, and uh, which was his industry for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got out of that and was looking for what he thought would be the next big royalty business and this is about five plus years ago and he was a music fan but not a fanatical music fan just an average music fan so at the time he came across music as a as a royalty option as one of the options he looked at mm-hmm. and he thought that it was the biggest opportunity for the royalties going forward so he asked uh, me to help him out at the time and a couple other uh, people who were more music related and and then more music experience and uh so far raised uh, over 20 million dollars and oh, bought wow. uh, pieces of catalogs from from the rolling stones to cage the elephant mm-hmm. to uh empire state of mind by uh, jay-z and uh, alicia keys a piece of the entire eminem catalog as well oh wow and it sounds really huge the, the strategy from all these is to buy a small percentage in general these are all like two percent three percent of a catalog so it it acts more like a dividend so if you own one percent of the m&m catalog which we bought from one of his producers you basically your your biggest priorities are to collections and legal because whoever owns that catalog let's say it's universal music they're they're the people who are out placing songs and movies and tv and making sure they're all on Spotify and Amazon Prime and Apple Music, et cetera. And, and they're doing all the marketing and promotion. 
So we're, we're, we're looking for those small percentages of well-known catalogs to uh, grow with them. 20 years ago, Napster came out and basically right. crushed, crushed the music business because the music business wasn't smart enough to license with Napster. In fact, the only company that did was BMG, but the rest of the record companies sued them and Napster and put them <laughs> so that they couldn't do it. So, so it took the music business 20 years to figure out how to monetize digital. And that, of course, happened with Apple Music and Spotify and right. uh, Amazon, Amazon Music, et cetera. So right now, music industry revenues are, are going up by leaps and bounds annually because uh, uh, of the uh, monetization of, of digital. Very interesting concept. How do you come about finding out that Eminem is willing to sell or his producer is willing to sell off 2% of the, the catalog? Well, there's a number of ways. There's there's agents who are out uh, trying to sell pieces of catalogs, and there's also uh, numerous auction sites mm-hmm. where you can go and and see what's available. And a matter of fact, I think the M M&M and M one, if I recall correctly, was bought off an auction site. You know, and you're looking at what the the history uh, of what the royalties were for that, and you can look back over the last number of years and say, okay, if it's if it's ten thousand dollars a year for that one percent, let's just say. You know, hopefully the next year it's going to be eleven thousand and twelve thousand, et cetera, as, as right. we forward. Right now, there's there's not a lot of downside to music royalties. You hear people complain about Spotify and Apple Music or some artists, but this incredibly amount of money they're putting towards it is about sixty five percent of their gross revenue goes to goes to uh, rights holders. Oh, really? So, I didn't know that. And it's so it's a it's a significant percentage, but of course the record companies are pretty smart about this so all their deals now of course take a percentage of that from the artist of course and (laughs) and so that's and that's so so that's why you hear the artists complain about spotify when or apple music when reality they should be complaining about their own record companies probably yeah oh they're always going to get paid the record company always gets paid (laughs) exactly yeah oh that's right that's very interesting yeah so it's it's been it's been an interesting process, and you know I I'm just a small shareholder in this whole thing, but it's uh, it's been fun working on it and seeing what we can find and yeah. and what you know, people are willing to sell. So now are, are are there artists that Chris Sysom is actively looking for? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that. I, I would you know you're always looking for opportunities. You're just lucky when they come along and, and that you, you can perhaps uh, make it work. But yes, we're looking for pretty much recognizable catalogs or pieces of catalogs. So, you know, when I talk about the artists, I mean, Dire Straits is another one that we mm. bought a piece from their, from their manager. And so many people own songs. Every song is owned by at least 10 people. Oh, and, really? Oh, yeah. Oh. You, just, you just go back to... If you look at a song by Drake mm-hmm. or someone like that, I mean, there's like 10 songwriters alone, let alone the music, uh, the record company, the publishing company, his management company, mm. and, and manager, the producer, and the writers all get paid, right? And so <laughs> it's, it's divided up quite widely. I didn't know that it was that involved. I thought the producer maybe, you know, at the end of his gig got paid you know, and yeah. it was just kind of a set fee and off you go kind of thing. But I guess they work out deals in, in perpetuity and stuff too, right? That's right. In general, mm-hmm. yeah, a producer gets percentage points on the whole 
as, as well as getting an upfront payment. Mm. Mm. And, you know, it's a big producer if it's, uh, you know, Brian Eno or, or Mutt Lang. Yeah. They're getting, they're getting a huge <laughs> fee and a significant percentage. Oh, so much money. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, it'd be pretty cool though to, if you had someone like, a, you know, one of your favorite artists, knowing that you, you owned a small percentage of their catalog, it's kind of cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I would have been, I would have been on, been on the Springsteen catalog, but it, it was 550 million US. So I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, did he not just sell that whole thing? He did. Didn't yeah. He? he sold, he sold his percentage. Right. So, oh. and he sold it to Sony music who owned the other significant part of it consensus in his record label. Oh, so it was worth more than that. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That is crazy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Not bad for a kid from New Jersey. Huh? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> wow. Isn't that unbelievable? Jeez. Anyway. Well, that's a good segue, Chris, into your songs because they kick off with the boss, Bruce Springsteen. Jungle Land is your first pick. Yeah, it, it's certainly, well, let me just say, first off, it was very hard to narrow it down to songs. So I tried to figure out some sort of stories and categories and where I was going. And uh, Springsteen is certainly one of my favorite artists. I've seen him live more than any other artist mm. uh, and many, many, many times. But the first time I saw him live was in 1980 at Maple Leaf Gardens with my girlfriend, who eventually became my wife. What intrigues me about the song is just the changes in the song and the sax solo by Clarence Clemens oh, yeah. about three to four minutes in is, is one of the best, most moving pieces of music, particularly, unfortunately, with the demise of the big man. Mm-hmm. To me, it's just a, such a moving uh, solo and uh, fits so well with the song. And, you know, it, it's almost like Bruce just <laughs> hands it over to him and says, oh, Clarence, take it from here. To me, it's just brilliant. I've, I've never gotten sick of that song. And it's just one of those songs where it just makes you stand up and sway or, you know, even sitting down and sway and, and listen to it. And to me, it moves me like as the songs, you, as you said, made you. Skin move, I think, is how you describe it. Skin vibrate, yeah. Skin vibrate, yes. And that's that is one of the best. It, it's I, I love this song too, and I'm a huge Springsteen fan. So like a, a perfect end to an incredible record. I somebody told me once that that Clemens spent 16 hours playing the solo over and over again under the watchful eye of Springsteen, like you know, saying no. Dude, got no dude. Sixteen hours, and somebody said, "Do you have like how did you get through that?" And he said, "A lot of weed, man." <laughs> but it's well, such a is, it's such a great oh, solo, right? Yeah, it sure is. Well, Springsteen is, is the one of the ultimate perfections. Oh yeah, when it comes to music, and I remember reading about the E Street Band, and, and maybe it was in Clarence's biography. He he said, "So here's how here's how rehearsal works. If rehearsal is at 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. The band is on their on the stage with instruments on two minutes before one mm-hmm. because Springsteen gets there at one and wants to play. Wow! <laughs> so, he said that's the demand of Bruce Springsteen and why he's so well rehearsed to play anything at any time. He's uh, he's on tour now, and I'm sure that you know, it's different. They change the set list every night. Oh, a lot of it stays the same, but he changes it all the time. I love that. He, he had his, the last, one of the times I saw him in the last 10 years, 
12 years. He's, mm-hmm. He, uh, it was this tour and basically the, what happened on the tour, people started bringing signs and he'd do sign requests during the tour. Oh, <laughs> and at, at Scotiabank, someone had a sign that had two head, two lit headlights on it. Okay. And, and the sign and it said racing in the street with the two headlights. <laughs> and so he would collect, he would have security collect the sign and bring it up on stage. And he just looked at that and says, I got to play this. Look at this sign. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. I love that. It's pretty cool. You know, you hear about all these, these idiotic things that are going on with, you know, tape usage and stuff like that. And it's so, it's such a great feeling to know that Springsteen, especially given his age, is going out there and just knocking it out every night without any of that nonsense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it, it certainly is. And, and you know, it's rock and roll. It's not perfect. It's mm-hmm. moving. He brings it every night. It's better when it's not perfect, you know? Yeah. That's the, <laughs> the, that's the, you think about the old Rolling Stones, like that's my kind of rock and roll. When it's, I want to hear yeah. the, the mistakes. That's, that, that adds the charm for me. Yeah, so. you're so right. Now, uh, your next, th- see, this is tricky because people say, you know, I had a really hard time narrowing it down to five songs and people get creative with like honorable <laughs> mentions and stuff like that. But nobody, Chris, has has attempted what you've attempted here, a tie. <laughs> so this is the first time <laughs> with like 250 episodes that, you know, it's like a tie for a second. <laughs> Super trap. <laughs> and the Eagles. So school in Hotel California. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I was thinking back to um, the first shows I ever saw as a teenager. These were in 1977 in Maple Leaf Gardens, and they're literally two months apart. Mm, wow. Six, six or eight weeks apart, 1977. Hotel California, the Hotel California Eagles tour and the, and the Super Tramp tour. And I, I don't even think it was the Crime of the Century tour. I think it was even in the quietest moments because I looked it up. And, and so these were really my first ever concert experiences. Mm-hmm. And one of my best friends, Tim, and I, lined up overnight at Maple Leaf Gardens to buy tickets to the Eagles for Hotel California. Mm-hmm. And it, <laughs> and we got first row greens, <laughs> which if you remember the time, I mean, there was golds, reds, blues, greens. So, so way <laughs> up there. We, we were a good way up, but we were close to the stage. So we weren't at the back. We were near the front. So they actually were really, were pretty good. And so we get there and, and we're so excited and literally they open with hotel California Oh, and uh, it's their brand new record. And this is the song that you're hearing on radio and they open with hotel California. Wow. And it was so unbelievable for our first concert experience like this. And then follow it up literally six or eight weeks later with super tramp and they opened with school. Oh, and I'm, going, and I'm going, my God, these guys, these are their, would end up being two of their most iconic songs, Hotel California and School. Yeah. And, you know, most artists would save them till the end. Mm-hmm. And these guys opened with them. If you can imagine the drama, because the Hotel California, it's the iconic guitar opening and school, it's the iconic piano uh, solo and opening and with that uh, little scream right before the yeah 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 and and they basically uh, opened their shows with it and it was quite traumatic how they did it 
for both of them. The Super Tramp was simply a spotlight on a miniature piano, and the came oh. and played the miniature piano. It was very interesting. Wow, and it was fantastic. And and so that's why I put them in as a tie because they were basically <laughs> more or less the same story. They showed me the power of live music and 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 how much it added to listening to music to, to throw in live music and from seeing those shows i've gone to see you know hundreds of shows uh over the years because of my love of live music and it was initiated by those two shows wow now in addition to those chris what's another one that stands out that jumps out right now in your recollection <laughs> i saw the eagles right before the pandemic and Don Henley, uh, who's uh, a bit of a crusty guy, uh, he says, he says, tickets at eight o'clock. Comes out, like third song in is Take It Easy, and it's being sung, sung by uh, Glenn Fry's son, mm-hmm. who has taken over the band since Glenn died, one of the new additions to the band. And people are still coming in. And so at the end of the song, Don, Don Henley goes, well, welcome to all you newbies. Uh, the ticket did say we start at eight. <laughs> Jeez. Sorry, Dad. Uh, but look, it's some, some of the best shows I've ever seen. Um, so many. Tragically hip at the horseshoe. Mm. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, the Foo, Foo Fighters at the Phoenix. Wow. Um, all sort of their, on the up, up and coming. That was the Foo Fighters' first record. And nobody thought, you know, David Grohl is going to be anything after Nirvana. And he came mm-hmm. out from a drummer and became a front man and just became a pretty iconic front man. Yeah. Um, gosh, uh, so many great, great shows. I, we did, when I was working at the Edge, we did Edge Fest for many years yeah. at Molson Park and Barrie. Yeah. And some of the some of the shows there uh, with Green Day, with Our Lady Peace, with uh, Violent Friends, and just spectacular shows wow um so I, i've been very fortunate to, to go to uh, many many hundreds of shows mm. and so I, I would there haven't been very many that have been disappointing honestly it's, it's been just a lot of fun that's great i have a funny story about a show your next artist here billy bragg i saw him at the yes. danforth and uh, okay. the, so the, the song is called uh, "Greetings to the New Brunette." But very quick story about Billy. So I saw him at the Danforth. You know they can they can take seats out, but they can put seats in at the Danforth, yeah. as you know. And so the seats were in, and I thought, "Wow, this is kind of nice." You know, it's uh, you, you always stand up, right? Yeah. So Billy comes out, and we had been sitting down. He comes out, and everybody like stands up really quickly, you know. And he he comes to the microphone, and he says, "No, no, no." He goes, "Guys, we're all old." Sit down. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> that was so great. And we all did. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, I, so yeah, I saw him at the old concert hall mm-hmm. at uh, what is that, Davenport and Young. And with Michelle shocked opening. And oh, wow. uh, he was, he was, for the people who don't know, I mean, Billy Bragg is very English and pretty socialist leaning and mm. pretty interesting guy. He preached a little bit, sang a little bit and, and was really good. And, and uh, <laughs> but just a character. Oh, he, but yeah. this song, this song, greetings to the new Burnett. Yeah. I think it's one of the, the great love songs of all time. That's a romp. And one of my favorite lines of all time is in that song. It's like, 
I celebrate my love for you with a pint of beer and a new tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) How can you not love a line like that? It puts a smile on your face and uh, it's just, it's just a a classic happy song. uh, And it's a great sing along song and uh, lots of fun. That's why I like it so much. Johnny Marr uh, from Smith's plays on this. And I think that I I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. He does. Yeah. And, um, Christy McCall sings on this, I believe. Christy, yeah, she, yeah, from yeah, Fairy she sang in a couple of Billy Bragg. She sang in a couple of Billy Bragg songs over the years, for sure. Yeah, um, the the biggest is her own version of a New England, right? Yeah, but Johnny Marr. If I did know that, I'd certainly forgotten. But I, well, now when I think of the song, I think of the the guitar on the song. It certainly sounds like Johnny oh, Marr. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Wild Rivers is next. And thinking about love. I'm not super familiar with this one. So Wild Rivers, I put this in because this, in my mind, might be the next big Canadian band. Mm. Surprisingly, they have over 400 million plays on Spotify alone. Oh, wow. Um, and most people have never heard of them. because They don't They don't get radio airplay, but they've toured all over. I happen, I happen to have met them, and, and they're very nice people as well mm-hmm. they were actually just uh, nominated for juno for uh, upcoming or breakout act or something like that wow it's really interesting to me because they have over 400 million plays and that song itself thinking about love which is a a, a great sing-along song and in, in concert as well mm-hmm. i mean this is a, this is a folk pop band in the spirit of old james taylor or the abbott brothers now oh wow uh, someone like that and like that. and if, if you think about it, I looked at the statistics on Spotify. Mm-hmm. They have about four and a half million monthly listeners. Okay? Wow. Just to give perspective, the biggest band in Canada right now is probably Arkells. Yeah. Okay, Canadian band. They have 500,000 monthly listeners. Oh. Okay. So thinking about love, I think there's three versions on, the, on Spotify. It probably has 100 million plays. I think the biggest Arkells song is about 15 million, which is Leather Jacket. Yeah. I don't want to downplay the Arkells at all because I think they're fantastic. And I, I, but I just want, you know, you think of a Arkells who, are, who can sell out Scotiabank and, and, and the, <laughs> an Iverwind Stadium or whatever it's called now in, in Hamilton uh, are fantastic, but they're very Canada based, whereas Wild Rivers has way more listeners, but it's more international, not just in Canada. So, which is why they have so many more plays. So they've toured Europe and uh, the U.S. They just toured Europe and U.S. and Canada in the last year. And they're probably the quietest, quietest ever sellout of Massey Hall last June. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, uh, and, and most Canadians really haven't heard of them. I hadn't. It's, that's, a, that, that's a funny thing. You know, I was talking to a guy who, he's a producer, but he's also got a band called The Commoners quite good but he said they can't get arrested in canada they they tour europe and play huge venues they're they're on planet rock in the uk canada just it's 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 such a strange thing that they can go abroad and and kill and they come back to canada and and they're non-existent well and and these guys i mean they sold out massey hall so they're they're doing pretty well Mm. Um, and 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 i think they're they're playing they're playing the same size. They're playing, you know, uh, 500 seat venues all over the place. They're not. They're not selling arenas in Europe or, or in North America. Mm-hmm. They're, but they're but they're playing everywhere and and they're expanding. And I and I think that if 
they were independent when thinking about love came out. And I think if they're now on network, I believe. And I, I think if they had been on a, a label when this song came out, it probably would have been a big hit for them. Okay. Um, well, in, in Canada, but you know, so they have to, they have to come up with another hit that maybe gets more uh, radio love or you know, television love or something. Mm-hmm. Main, main, mainstream love. Have a listen. They're a really interesting band. Uh, they've got two lead singers, uh, Khalid and uh, Devin, uh, man and woman. And it's a three piece that tours as a five piece. And I think that they, they've got lots of potential going forward. Cool. No, I'm definitely going to check them out for sure. I think you're onto something here, Chris. <laughs> well, we'll see. <laughs> okay. Now your last song, I'm going to venture a wild guess here. And the artist's name is Steph Sysom. The song is called New Brunette. Now, is there a relation by chance? <laughs> yes. Yes, this is my this is my daughter. Okay. And uh I, and I put it on in this list because obviously of, of all the music on this list that I love, this is the one I'm most proud of. And mm. she's uh whereas I'm a, a lover of music and the music business and everything about it, I have zero musical talent. <laughs> and she can sing and play instruments and write songs and she's been doing that. So she's uh she's put out a few songs under Steph Sysom and, and a few others under um, uh, her pseudonym, a girl named Steve. Ah. So I love this song because it, it's it's sort of an homage to uh, Greetings to a New Brunette. Yeah. So whereas Greetings to a New Brunette is a you know a fantastic romp of a love song, uh, New Brunette by Steph Sysom is sort of a romp of a breakup song. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the opposite, and to me it's uh, it, it it's really a, a fun romp as well where he talks about i hope your new brunette enjoys the shoes i left etc it's kind of i love that fun and funny yeah cool tie-in that's great mm-hmm. very nice good way to end the list this is uh <laughs> this has been a good chat chris i appreciate it thank you well thanks brent thanks for uh, reaching out it's uh it's been fun and, and it's fun to think about all this and uh, really enjoyed it well, you know, you had a difficult time. Well, you, you snuck six in, but you had a difficult time. <laughs> five. But like put five more together and, and, and we'll do it again. You know, people say it, it's impossible to just narrow yeah. it down to five, right? So people come back to the show often with a new list. So you're absolutely welcome anytime. Oh, great. Well, thanks so much. Great chatting with you. Great chatting with you. Yeah, keep in touch. Okay, Brian. All right. Take care. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Chris Sison. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.